Thank you for downloading Peter Smythe's podcast. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Peter and this work at Smythe.tv. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans 1. We are examining Paul's statement that the gospel is all wrapped up in this quote from Habakkuk 2.4 that the righteous one out from faith shall live. When you look at verses 16 and 17 in this letter, in this chapter, you see that Paul has encapsulated the entire gospel in just these two sentences. Now, let's read from verses 14 to 17 just to get the context down. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone believing, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed out from faith unto faith. Just as it stands written, the righteous one out from faith shall live. Now, there's a couple things to point out before we dive into the meaning of uh, the righteous one out from faith shall live or to unpack what that means. The first thing is that the righteous one, as we said in the prior sermon, does not refer to, Paul's not referring to the righteous one as being an individual believer. That's the way we usually read it. Because in the King James, the translation is, the just shall live by faith, and we apply that to ourselves. But the context here is not the individual believer. It is Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, God's Savior. If you think back to the book of Habakkuk, you see that the prophet was complaining about evil overtaking the righteous. And he complains to God about it, and he waits for an answer, and God says, well, there is a vision for an appointed time. You wait for it. And then God gives him this statement that the righteous one out from faith shall live. Well, it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, that's the second thing to notice, is that the righteous one, by the means of his faithfulness, shall live. In today's preaching, the cross is preached as a full stop. Preachers say, well, the plan of redemption is all wrapped up in the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, that was the end of redemption and The resurrection is treated as some kind of afterthought. But that's not the way it's treated here. And that's not the way that Paul sees it. And that's not the way that Paul interprets Habakkuk 2.4. He writes that the righteous one, by his faithfulness, shall live. Now, living refers to the resurrection. But in order to have a resurrection, you have to have a death and in this case, a crucifixion. So let's go back up to Golgotha. Let's put ourselves there 
And let's look and see what is going on when Jesus dies on the cross. Now, let me read to you Amos 8, verses 9 to 10, because I want you to get an idea of God's plan, of God, how he looked down on the cross. He writes, On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the mourning or the grieving for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. What God is speaking about there is it's a day of judgment. Remember, Jesus told, uh, talked about Israel. And then looking on the temple, he said, your house will be made desolate. And that's, what, uh, that's part of what the crucifixion is about. The king of the Jews was crucified. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews says the first covenant had to be put aside so the second one could be installed. So God says, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. What is he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus becoming sin. When we go over to Mark, Mark 15, Mark writes, When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So you're standing there with Jesus at Golgotha, watching him being crucified. And the clock strikes noon, and what happens? Everything goes dark. The earth goes dark for three hours. What is going on? What does that signify? That signifies Jesus becoming a curse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him to be sin. And in Galatians 3.13, Paul writes that Jesus was made a curse for us. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52, he's looking at the crucifixion prophetically in the spirit. And he says that Jesus didn't even look like a man anymore. And it's dark for three hours. It's the beginning of the sufferings of Christ. At three o'clock, Jesus cries with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What has happened? He has become sin. Becoming a curse means he is cut off from the people of God, he is cut off from the land, and he is cut off from God himself. Why have you forsaken me? You go through Psalm 22. He says, why are you so far from the words of my roaring? I cry out day and night and you don't hear me. He's a man separated from God. Then we read in Luke when he's about to, when he's about to die. It says, then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's going on there? Has God come back to him? 
Has God left him for but a moment that we hear so much over the airwaves? No. Jesus is praying about his fate. You see, up to this point in time, he said, I lay my, li- I lay my life down and I pick it up as I will. And at any time before this, he could have drawn back. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have said, you know, Father, this is too much for me. I can't go through with this. Anytime during this earthly ministry, he could have just taken his hands, thrown his hands up and said, I can't do it. I'm going to go my own way. But you see, here on the cross, he has made sin. He has made a curse. He is crucified outside the gate and he's going to die that way. And then he, then he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is his Geronimo. This is where he's saying as the hero, my fate is in your hands. He can't resurrect himself. Once he dies, he has flung himself into the hands of God to resurrect him. And he's going to descend. In Romans and in Ephesians, Paul writes that Jesus descended into the earth. So this prayer is his Geronimo. Now this is something I want you to see. When he he prays, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You look in your study Bible and you'll see that it's Psalm 31.5. And you go back to Psalm 31.5 and you see those words right there, right in the middle of that psalm. And this is something to, you've got to allow this to sink in. You know, I was reading a book on the crucifixion just a couple weeks ago, and the writer said, here was Jesus, and he quotes Psalm 31.5. And I slammed the book shut because that's wrong. Jesus wasn't on the cross quoting Psalms. It's that the Psalms were quoting him. David wrote Psalms. Isaiah saw the crucifixion. Jonah is a type of Christ. He's a type of Israel. And they all pointed to him being crucified. And God gave them inspired words about what was going to happen to a Messiah that was born a thousand years after David wrote his words. So it's vitally important that you get down, when you read the Psalms, you understand that these are prophetic utterances of the Messiah that was going to come a thousand years later. Jesus wasn't up quoting Psalm 69 and 22 and 31 on the cross. As he was dying, he wasn't trying to think, oh, well, this fits Psalm 22. Is that when David was writing Psalm 22, he saw into the Spirit and he foresaw the crucifixion. And he saw Jesus praying those words. It's so important to understand that. Now let's get into it because Jesus, he prays and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that is a prayer of consecration. It was a prayer of, my fate now is in your hands. 
Keep that in mind, and then we go back to Jesus confronting the Pharisees in Matthew. The Pharisees came to him demanding a sign. They were there to test him. They said, we want a sign from you. And he responded and said this, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the sea monster three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Now think about that a minute. Go back to Jonah. Jonah is usually preached as an unbelieving or a disobedient believer. And preachers don't account for the fact that he was a prophet. And the thing about Old Testament prophets, they not only wrote prophecy, they acted things out too. And Jonah did this unconsciously. He was a type of Israel. Remember when the word of the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to preach to the Ninevites? Well, the Ninevites were Gentiles. He didn't want to preach to the Ninevites. So he booked a ship to go to the other side of the world. And Jonah says, at the end of the book, he says, when that word came to me, I knew exactly what was going to happen. You're a gracious God, and they would repent, and there wouldn't be any judgment, and he doesn't want that to happen. He is a type of Israel because Israel was supposed to be a light to the world, and Israel, what? Israel kept the gospel to itself. He wanted God to destroy all its her enemies. And that's not what God's plan was. Well, when Jonah was tossed overboard, he was still a type of Israel, but that type was whittled down to being a type of Christ. Remember when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified as the king of the Jews. He represented Israel. Now, this is something I want you to see. Jonah 1.17, it says, But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Notice that the Lord provided a fish. It was in God's plan. Now notice the parallelism. You go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is being arrested. Peter pulls out his sword and starts swinging. And he swings at a Roman soldier and cuts off the guy's ear, and Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. And he says, am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Or in other words, am I not to be swallowed up by the fish that the Father is sending me? Jesus analogized his fate to that of the prophet Jonah. Jonah doesn't make any sense at all unless you see him as a type of Christ. The book doesn't make any sense whatsoever unless you see that in him you see a prefiguration of Jesus in the heart of the earth. Now, you go back to Jonah. You see that he is swallowed whole by a fish. 
but you also see that he doesn't die. He prays while he's in the belly of the whale. Now, what we have in Jonah are eight verses of his prayers. They are pictures. They're images of what he was praying the whole time he was in the belly of the whale. You can call it the whale, the fish, the sea monster, whatever you want to do. Now, imagine his plight for a minute. He is swallowed whole and he's in the belly. He can't see a thing. He's in complete darkness. He doesn't know one minute to the next, one hour to the next. And he is in what he calls the belly of hell. He is suffering in that fish. And he is a type of Christ. Now let me read to you his prayers. His prayers, these pictures, are echoes of psalms. You know, if, if Jonah was the story of just a disobedient believer, echoes of psalms in the belly of the fish just don't make any sense. But when you see him as a type of Christ, they sure do. I'm going to read to you Jonah's prayers, and I've put them in an order that are roughly chronological, so you can understand the context, you can understand the praying, and see that he is a prefiguration of Christ's own sufferings. Listen to what he says, how he prays. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Those are echoes of Psalm 88 and 42. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again at your holy temple? Remember that Jesus was made sin. How again was he supposed to look on God's temple? And you see that this, this verse here, Jonah 2.4, is an echo of Psalm 31. For waters closed in over me, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped around my head. An echo of Psalm 69. Jesus, you hear, you hear Psalm 69 while he's on the cross. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Notice what Jonah is praying here. He's going down to the heart of the earth. The picture of Hades or the picture of what is called Sheol in the Old Testament, it's, it's, a, a, it's a horrible place where the souls of men went and they could not escape. It was like a prison. And that's what Jonah says here. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Now, the next line takes us back to Habakkuk 2.4. Remember, this is all about the righteous one by the means of his faithfulness shall live. Jonah prays, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. See, Jonah 
as the prophet, Jonah as a, quote, disbelieving believer. He didn't vow to do anything on his own. But as a type of Christ, you can see that what I have vowed I will pay. Jesus pledged to be faithful to the Father's plan. And that's why he prayed right before he died, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jonah prays, as my life was ebbing away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now that's an echo of Psalm 18 and we're going to get to Psalm 18 in a second. I called to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of hell I cried, and you heard my voice. You brought up my life from the pit. Another word for pit is Sheol. Another word for Sheol is Hades or hell. O Lord my God, you brought up my life from hell. O Lord my God, deliverance belongs to the Lord. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. There's the faithfulness right there. Jesus didn't look back. He stayed forever faithful to the Father, even through his sufferings. You go back to Psalm 31, you see that Jonah's prayer echoes Psalm 31. And you, and you read there, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Do not let me be put to shame, O Lord, for I call on you. He's forever faithful. Now, Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a psalm of David, and it's a psalm of David where he has obtained victory over his enemies. Now, in Acts 2.31, Peter's preaching, and he refers to David, and he says that David foresaw the Lord's resurrection. And he quotes Psalm 16 in Acts 2.31. Well, David not only foresaw the resurrection in Psalm 16, he foresaw the resurrection in Psalm 18 too. Listen to Psalm 18. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of perdition assailed me. The cords of Sheol, or hell, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. See, that sounds just like Jonah, doesn't it? It's because they're both echoing the same sufferings, those of Christ. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Now listen to what happens when Jesus' prayer reaches the ears of the Father. And this is when, according to Romans 4.25, when every man, woman, and child, whoever was and ever will be, could be born again. That's when Jesus was resurrected. Listen to what happens in Psalm 18. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. 
The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering around him, his canopy thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him there broke through his clouds hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out his arrows and scattered them, speaking of the enemies. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Now listen to this. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. What's going on there? You see that Jesus said he was in the heart of the earth. Jonah said he was at the roots of the mountains. And you see here with David, the foundations of the world were laid bare. And what happens? He reached down from on high. He took me and he drew me out of mighty waters. That's the resurrection. By his faithfulness, he shall live. Now listen to what David writes later on in Psalm 18. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand has supported me. Your help has made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet do not slip. Now, you gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. When you read in the book of Hebrews and come to chapter 10, you see that the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40. And he quotes Psalm 40 as the very words of Jesus himself. Now listen to Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. See, you see the faithfulness there. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Listen. He drew me up from the destroying pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. A song of praise to our God. Remember when Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to Mary? He said, don't touch me, I'm ascending to the Father. But he said, go tell the disciples, I'm ascending to whom? To your Father and my Father, to your God and my God. You see the parallelism here? You see how these are the echoes of Christ himself. And then Psalm 40 says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's an allusion to the Gentiles coming in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now we move over to the New Testament and we see how the Lord resurrected him. In 1 Peter 3.18, Peter writes that Jesus was crucified in the flesh, but listen to this, 
made alive in spirit. And the made alive is passive, meaning that the Father made him alive. We hear these stories where we hear preaching where Jesus went down to do battle with the enemy. No, he suffered down there. And then when we all could be born again, he was made alive by the Father. And we read Psalm 18. That is a picture of the resurrection. In 1 Timothy 3.16, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He writes that Jesus was vindicated in spirit. That word vindicated is the word righteous in spirit. He was made righteous. Now, usually that's taken in a forensic sense, meaning it was just made legal. But when you go through the New Testament, you see that it's also vital. In other words, he was made alive in spirit. And being, being made alive in spirit, he was justified in spirit. Hallelujah. And when you thumb over to Romans 4.25, you see that the very same action happened with us when he was resurrected. We were made righteous too. Hallelujah. Now let's expand this out just a little bit. In Acts 2.27, Peter's preaching, and he's referring to David, and he's referring to David foreseeing the resurrection. In quoting Psalm 16, and Peter says, Well, David says concerning him, meaning Christ, For you will not abandon my soul in Hades, or let your Holy One see destruction. You see how that prophecy works? You see how it works. You will not abandon my soul in Hades. See, the Father was faithful too. Jesus was faithful to the Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You will not abandon me in Hades or let me see destruction. The ultimate destruction of those who are unbelieving. That's what David wrote in Psalm 16. And this is a thousand years before Jesus was born of a woman and born under the law. Get the import of that. There is nothing like that on the face of the earth. There is nothing like our Bible. There's nothing that foresees something a thousand years ahead of time. The words of a Messiah, the words of God's plan of redemption, there's nothing like it. You can have your titans of industry. You can have whoever you want, but nobody, nobody can do anything like this. And that's why the revelation of the word is so precious to us and so amazing and so otherworldly. Hallelujah. Listen to Acts 2.24 because it explains what we've been preaching. It says, whom God raised up. And we know who that is. That is Jesus the Christ. Having freed him from the pangs of death. See, there's the suffering there. And the death that he's speaking of is spiritual death. Why? He was made sin. He was made a curse. And he had to die that way. He had to die in solidarity with those of us in Adam in order to redeem us. 
And Acts 2.24 goes on, Because it was not possible that he should be held within its grip. It wasn't possible for death to keep a grip on Jesus when he was made alive. See, nobody else had been made alive in spirit until he came. And then Hades couldn't hold him anymore. Had to spit him out. Like Jonah, like Jonah on the beach. Just like the fish had to spit Jonah out on the beach, Hades could no longer hold Jesus within his grip. And Paul writes this in Romans 6, 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Listen, death no longer has dominion over him. No longer has dominion over him. It had dominion over him. Why? Because he came, he came to save us. And that's the only way he could save us. Because death has dominion over everybody in Adam. You see that in Romans 5.12. So Jesus had to go into the strong man's house and tie him up in order to liberate us. And that means he had to descend and then God had to raise him out of that by making him alive. Hallelujah. And then Romans 6.10 is the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And that's the last portion of of Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous one, out of faith or by the means of his faithfulness, shall live, and he lives unto God. Hallelujah. So let's go back to our scripture, because now we understand it a whole lot more than we did before. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone believing. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed out from faith unto faith. What is Paul saying there? He's saying it's revealed out from Jesus' faithfulness unto the faith of men. That's why we have faith in Jesus. Out from his faith unto our faith, just as it stands written, the righteous one out from faith or by the means of faith shall live. He lives by the means of his faithfulness, and because he lives, we live. See how that is an encapsulation of the gospel just in these two verses. You go back up to 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone believing. The word salvation there for our purposes today could be to, uh, it's the power of God unto being made alive again, unto being born again, to everyone believing, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And how does that come about? It comes about because the righteous one out from his own faithfulness shall live. Hallelujah. It's because of him and what he did for us that we're able to live in newness of life under God, under the Father. Amen. 
So now we understand what Paul is saying in Romans 1, 16 and 17 a whole lot more than we did before. Hallelujah. We see that it's by Jesus' own faithfulness that we can live unto God, that we have been made alive again. Hallelujah. So that concludes the sermon. Let's pray the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling and to make us stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God of our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We are 100% listener supported. You may lend your support at smythe.tv.